This podcast is a production of Phoenix Media. Explore more episodes of this show and other great shows on the Phoenix Media Podcast Network by visiting phoenixmedia.us. The views expressed do not necessarily represent those of the company or its advertisers and may contain language that's unsuitable for younger listeners. Thank you for tuning in to Silver Age Heroes Radio Theater. I'm your host, Christian Phoenix. Now, growing up as a comic book fan of the 80s and 90s, I've always been fascinated with how storytellers translated these iconic heroes from the page to film, television, and radio. Long before we got the big-budget CGI epics we enjoy today, children gathered around their radios to hear their favorite do-gooders come to life with little more than their imaginations and these broadcasts from a time long forgotten. I invite you to gather around your radio for this presentation of Silver Age Heroes Radio Theater. From the heart of the jungle comes a savage cry of victory. This is Tarzan, Lord of the Jungle. From the black core of dark Africa, land of enchantment, mystery, and violence, comes one of the most colorful figures of all time, transcribed from the immortal pen of Edgar Rice Burroughs, Tarzan, the bronzed white son of the jungle. And now in the very words of Mr. Burroughs, the story of Congo Christmas. The village of the Karmiki tribe consisted of a rambling collection of thatched huts, a lean-to where the women ground corn and cassava, a palaver house and other tribal buildings, and a spiked boma that enclosed the village in a vain attempt to keep out the terrors of the jungle. But one building in the Maji stood out from the others. It was of costly teakwood and mahogany. Its door was of burnished copper, and fierce guards stood at its entranceway. This was the temple of Miyomoko, moon god of the Karmiki. The single eye of the moon god, a priceless star sapphire in the center of its forehead, glowered malevolently in the near darkness of the jungle dusk as a handsome young warrior placed a sacrifice of wild fruit at the feet of his idol. Great Miyomoko, forgive Keddy for what he has done. Keddy not know what he do to make moon god angry, but now he not catch fish in his nets. Animals not come to his traps. His cattle run away, and Keddy not find them. Why you are angry, great Miyomoko? I will tell you why Miyomoko is angry, son of Kamiki. Oh, the high priest. Miyomoko is not angry with you, Kitty. He is angry with all of the Kamiki tribe. But because you are strongest and bravest of the young warriors, he has selected you to redeem the people of tribe. That is why my cattle run away? Why I no catch fish or animals? It was a sign so that you would know you were the Matula. The chosen one? Uh, chosen for what? You know that Miyamoko has been the god of your people since the beginning of time. The deal? You know that many of your tribe have given their lives to protect the great star sapphire that is the eye of the moon god. The deal? That many, including the father, the grandfather, and the great-grandfather of Miyamoko's high priest, have died for the moon idol? Yes, yes, I know all of this high priest. And yet, with each passing day, more people of tribe turn from Miyamoko and worship a false god. You mean, those who go to missionary? Nidio. Unless missionary is destroyed... Unless people of Karmiki return to Miyomoko, fish will no longer come to our streams. Our cattle will all disappear. Our fields will be barren. 
and our children will die unborn. But but what is Keddy to do? Tonight, when the moon is high, you, the chosen one, must go to the missionary building. You must find the man, Collier, and you must kill. I, High Priest of Miyamoko, have spoken. On the opposite end of the village, from the temple of Miyamoko, stood the small bamboo hut that housed the missionary school and church that the Reverend Andrew Collier had founded three years before. A distinct contrast to the imposing structure of the moon god, the fragile shelter was in a bad state of disrepair. The Reverend Collier had always met to fix the roof and replace the siding, but other matters always seemed more important. Now, although the hour was close to midnight, he continued to work by the light of a flickering lantern. By his side, at a long table in what was ordinarily the classroom, stood Amma, a lovely native girl, who was his best pupil, his most devout convert. You are almost finished, Reverend Collier. Uh, finished? <laughs> I've hardly begun, Amma. I have another 200 Christmas presents to wrap. 200? But there are not half that many Christians in the entire village. We'd be very poor Christians if we gave presents only to those who agreed with our beliefs. Would you hand that spool of ribbon over there? Thank you. There are yet many days until Christmas. Why must all the packages be wrapped tonight? You, you can never tell what might come up. Now, I don't want to have old Santa Claus come along and find me not ready. Says it, please, Armour. It will be a wonderful Christmas, even though there are so few of us Christians. There are more than there were last year, Armour, and more last year than the year before that. We have much to be thankful for. I'm ready for the next toy. Oh, <laughs> look at this one, a tiny keyboard. Yeah, it's a rather <laughs> cute little dog. <laughs> But I'm afraid there won't be nearly enough toys to go around. I sent another letter to the church foundation, but they... Oh, well, they couldn't possibly have sent all the things I asked for. You are sad, Reverend Collier? Not exactly. But I keep remembering those Christmases at home. There was always snow on the ground. Snow? There was a window in the choir loft. That was before I was ordained, you see. And that time I played the organ, led the choir. Well, before the services started, I used to look down at the people crossing the snowy field on their way to church... In the vestibule, they'd remove their overcoats and shake off the snow. And then the big doors at the back of the church would open and they'd start to pour in. That was my signal to begin. Usually on Christmas morning, the first hymn I played was, Come All Ye Faithful. And they were faithful in those days, Armour. And as they entered the church, you could... Oh, someone comes late at night. Come in. The door to the mission is never locked. Oh, Kitty. Armour, I not think I find you here so late. I have been helping the Reverend tie Christmas packages. You go now, Amma. Why? Why have you come here, Keddy? Keddy has business with Reverend Collier. But you have always refused to come into the missionary, even when I paid you. Well, you should have gone hours ago, Amma. Keddy has business with me. I'm happy. I've waited long for this day. Go, Amma. As you say, Reverend. Good night. Good night, Keddy. You look sorely troubled, Keddy. May I help you? You can speak freely. We're alone. The deal. Enemy of Miyamoko, great moon god of Kamiki. Now we are alone. In just a moment, we'll return to our exciting story of Congo Christmas. Almost a year had passed since Tarzan had visited the village of the Karmiki. Now he was on his way back from the city of Andromara, and since the elephant trail he followed came within a few miles of the Karmiki crawl, he decided to renew old friendships. 
As he made his way easily through the dense jungle vegetation, Nakima, the tiny monkey who was his frequent companion, danced at his side, chattering happily. Suddenly, as Tarzan reached the entrance of the village, he stopped in his tracks. From the temple of Miyomoko came the frenzied chanting of the high priest and his acolytes, and the low beating of the Moti Nagoma, the drum of death. Tarzan rushed to the shrine of the moon god and attempted to enter, but the powerful hands of the temple guards reached out for him, and massive bodies blocked his path. The beating of the Moti Nagoma has been outlawed, and I demand to see your high priest at once. I do not wish to cause bloodshed, but unless you take your hands from me and step aside so that I can enter, I shall... Pass! Jumbo, high priest of Miyamoto. Why do you come during ritual, Tarzan? I was on my way to see Nagako, your chief, when I heard the sounds of the Mati Nagoma. Whose death are you plotting now? We do not plot a death. This is but a vestige of an old custom. A custom I know well. Your chief has long kept himself neutral in the struggle between you and others who do not believe in your fanatic religion. But I am not neutral. Tell me whose death you plan. You do not frighten me, Lord of the Jungle. Soon the people of Karmiki will return to the obedience of Miyamoto. As the moon god was in years gone by, so will it be again. And none will dare defy its power. The missionary. It's his death you plan. By this time he is already dead. You are too late to stem the will of Miyamoko. With Nakima dodging his heels, Tarzan ran swiftly through the slumbering village. Ahead he could see the light of a flickering lantern from inside the mission. Perhaps the light of its founder also flickered. Tarzan reached the ramshackle building at last and he flung the door open wide. Reverend Collier, you're all right. Of course I'm all right. Come in. Close the door after you. Well, if, if, if you're busy, no, I... No, no, no. Keddy was just leaving. The deal was just leaving. Keddy. So you were the Matula. Yes. Matula? The chosen one. Chosen to kill an enemy of Miyomoko. Did your nerve fail you, Keddy, or did Reverend Collier prove stronger than he looks? Oh, you're mistaken, Tarzan. Keddy made no attempt upon my life. He, uh... Oh, he, he came here to help me tie these Christmas packages. Oh, and the razor-sharp kizu that lies on the ground, it was not meant as an instrument of death? Caddy was merely using the knife to, uh, to cut ribbons. I want you to leave now, Caddy. Neither of us will say anything about this to anyone. Santa, Reverend Collier, and good night. Good night, Tarzan. You're making a mistake, Reverend. Caddy failed once, but the fanatical followers of Miyomoko will soon bolster his wavering spirits. And even should he fail again, there are others to take his place. We must go to Nagako. He's a just chief, and he'll put new restrictions upon the high priest, and he'll punish Keddy. Punishment will not help him. He's deeply troubled and needs help. I failed in my effort to find out the source of his trouble. But I can never succeed in my mission until I understand the Kamiki and their problems. I will spend tomorrow watching Keddy. I'll try to uncover the source of his trouble, and I'll keep him from making another attempt on your life. But you must keep a sharp lookout for others. Death might come from any direction, and at any moment... All the next day, Tarzan shadowed Kitty. It seemed amazing that the youth was unaware of his presence, for Nakima, who clung to Tarzan's shoulder, chattered shrilly. But Kitty was lost in a world of his own. At that moment, he was tending his small flock of sheep, but he was so absorbed in thought that a tiny lamb wandered off unnoticed. And as the lamb reached the fringe of the jungle, Numa the lion drew close, attracted by the scent of a tasty morsel. The lamb stumbled uncertainly, its tiny ears raised in frightened query. It turned to rejoin its flock. But now the lion crouched low, powerful muscles flexed, and the king of beasts leaped toward its helpless prey. But at that exact moment, a bronze white savage catapulted from the trees, and a shaft of gleaming steel found its mark. Ah! 
My lamb. My lamb, Carson. Kitty's little lamb wandered off. Where is... Your lamb is safe from no fault of your own, Kitty. Not Kitty's fault. His sheep, cattle wander off and cannot be found. Fish not bite on his line or enter his traps. Animals not caught by his snares. It's because Miyomoku is angry. Kitty is bewitched. Kitty, I've been following you all day, and I can tell you why these misfortunes befall you. Why? Because you have no time to properly tend your nets or your traps. I, I watched you spend the entire morning peering through the window of the mission. I saw you stand for hours this afternoon near the hut where the women bake bread. And I observed you following the maidens when they went to the stream to fetch water. Tarzan saw Kitty do these things? I did. Kitty, you're so busy trying to catch glimpses of that girl, Amma, that you have no time for the other matters. When she's not within sight, you're busy dreaming of her. Naturally, your cattle and your sheep wander off unnoticed. The serious malady from which you suffer is known as love. It's true. That is Kitty's great trouble. <laughs> trouble? Well, if you're in love with Amma, why do you not ask to make marriage with her? Although you've lost some of your possessions, you surely have enough left for the marriage price. Nadio, have marriage price, but Amma not marry me. She doesn't return your love? It's not that. Her, uh, her family doesn't think you would make a good husband? Family of Amma think well of Kitty. Well, then, what in the world is it? Amma is Christian. I am what she called pagan. Reverend Collier says she cannot marry me. High priest of Miyamoko say I cannot marry her. Oh, so that's the root of all the trouble. Kitty, gather your flock and return to the village. Before another day has passed, I'll arrange a meeting between Reverend Collier and the high priest of the moon god. Perhaps I can solve your problems. I, the high priest of Miyamoko, will not leave the temple to visit the intruder. The Reverend Collier has agreed to come here to discuss the matter. He may enter, but only in the custody of four of my strongest guards. You are to be alone in the temple when he comes. The guards and the other priests and the sentries are to be removed. You're to meet his equals. And why should I agree to such ridiculous conditions? Because your chief, the mighty Nagako, knows nothing of your instructions to Kitty. Unless you agree to the meeting as I have outlined it, you'll be told. Nagako has no patience with plans for murder, and you shall feel the fury of his anger and the power of his authority. I agree to your terms. Tell the Reverend Collier to enter the temple when the hour of midnight has come again. And so, in the dead of night, the missionary met with a high priest... And they discussed earnestly the love of a pagan youth and a Christian maiden. A hundred yards from the temple, the people of Karmiki stood motionless, intent. The temple guard stood in readiness, and Tarzan near them watched anxiously. Even the Kima seemed filled with the importance of the moment. He dashed off frequently, and then returned to whimper at the feet of his master. After what seemed like hours of endless waiting, the Reverend Collier came down the temple steps. Ama and Kitty rushed toward him. Oh, you, you. Reverend you are safe. Of course I'm safe, Arma. We had a most friendly discussion of your problem. And the decision. The decision, Reverend Collier. Well, uh, I gave ground and the high priest gave ground, though he was forced to consult many scrolls and sacred records. Yes? Finally, we arrived at compromise. You are to study the teachings of Mimoko for three days, and Kelly is to study the word of Jesus. Three days is not much time to observe a religion, but at the end of that time... Ah! Stop what, please? What are you talking about, High Priest? Several times while we spoke, I left the Reverend Collier alone. And when he was gone, I found that it was missing. The great star sapphire. The eye of Miyamoku. Oh, I nothing. He would not steal his goods. This is some plot of yours. You pretended to make a reasonable agreement, and there... There is no agreement. There never will be. The man Collier has defiled our God. 
your threats to tell the chief of my plans do not frighten me, Tarzan. Let him know. Let everyone know that I, the high priest of Miyamoko, will have revenge. Every Christian in the village shall be killed, and the man Collier shall be first. In just a moment, the strange conclusion of Congo Christmas. Ooh, yeah, let me tell you something right here, aha! It's the Loot Crate subscription box, yeah! With an exclusive loot on surprises delivered to your door every month! Just pick up your favorite geeky genre, daddy! <laughs> From the original Loot Crate, the Loot Crate DX collectible boxes, dude! Cowabunga! To the Loot Gaming video game box! Woohoo! Wowzers! With crates starting as large as eleven ninety nine per month, those are backs just about for all collectors. To get your geek on, head over to phoenixmedia.us forward slash loot crate and claim your exclusive offer. That's f-e-n-i-x media dot u-s forward slash loot crate. Great Scott! Snap into a loot crate, it. You're tuning in to Silver Age Heroes Radio Theater, presented by Phoenix Media. From the heart of the jungle comes a savage cry of victory. This is Tarzan, Lord of the Jungle. the high priest had reached the point of hysteria, and now the disciples of Miyamoko surged forward to overpower the missionary. But in the instant of the attack, the pitifully few members of the cleric's parish formed a protective circle about him. The tiny band wavered before the savage onslaught of the multitude, but in that moment Tarzan jumped to the steps of the temple. In his hand he held his great bow, and at his side hung a quiver filled with metal-tipped arrows. The first one who places a hand on Reverend Kalia will get an arrow through his heart. Do not fall back, disciples of Miyamoko. Kalia must be killed. No one be killed. Great Chief Nagako. Great Chief Nagako. Your high priest has accused the Reverend Kalia of stealing the star sapphire of the moon god. It must be plain to you that he could be guilty of no such crime. What is true can be proved. Search him. Oh, he is a holy man. You cannot believe it. It's all right, Alma. I've been accused of a theft, and it's only right that I should be searched. As a matter of fact, I insist on it. I search you, Kalia. Chief Nagako, I'm sure the missionary did not steal the gem, and since no one else entered or left the temple, it's plain that this is only a plot to discredit him and the work he's done among your people for three years. No one guilty until proved so. No one innocent until trial has been held. Well, High Priest... The eye of Miyamoko is not on him. He has passed it to someone else. I know he is guilty. Tomorrow, when dawn has come, we hold trial. Nagako, chief of all Kamiki, has spoken. Why, why do you not invite me inside the mission, Reverend Kalia? We can talk out here. There is much talk among the natives. 
Although the High Council did not find you guilty, there are those who insist now that you are concealing something. Why? Oh, surely you are not that blind, Reverend. This morning, a large safari arrived with many packages for you, and one crate so large that it took two elephants to carry. You've taken these things inside, and the door has remained closed. Can't you see that you're inviting suspicion? Perhaps. Perhaps. Even Chief Nagako is beginning to believe that you stole the sapphire in order to pay for these goods you had delivered. I ask you to tell me what the crates contained. Well, it would be easy for you to climb to that tree over there and look down into the mission. The roof's still open in many places. I will not look in without your invitation. And Nagako has forbidden the others to do so. But even my friendship and the spirit of justice that Nagako holds dear will not prevail long against the, the growing temper of the Kamiki. Tarzan, for three years I've taught the unvarnished principles of Christianity. It's not enough. If I'm to succeed, I must match the colorful ceremonies of the native rites. These people will not accept the word of the Bible for miracles. They must see them with their own eyes. And, and you intend to perform a miracle? No, that I cannot do. But I'm inviting every member of the tribe to come here tomorrow. Perhaps on Christmas Day I can reveal something here that they will accept as a miracle. It's my only chance for personal safety. So that I may continue to fight for a cause that I know is right. <laughs> It's late, Keddy. You best go to Yahima. Perhaps in the morning we can try to straighten things out. Is no way straightened. Now Keddy won't be Christian. But I priest say never let Keddy go. Puts a curse on marriage. Well, things may look different by tomorrow, Keddy. Tomorrow's Christmas, and I have a feeling things are going to happen. Keddy cannot wait long. Inside is sick. His heart. Someone coming. I go. But try help poor Keddy. Be well, Tarzan. Go well, Keddy. Quiet, quiet, Regina. The hour is late. Who is it? You are alone. Except for Nakima, my small monkey. Who comes? It. It is I. The high priest of Miyamoko. Come to call on me in a simple hut? No longer am I proud and haughty, Tarzan. What? My father and my father's father and his father protected the priceless eye of Miyamoko. They gave their lives that the honor of the moon idol should not be blemished. But I have failed. Would that I were dead. Your death would not solve the mystery. If only some miracle would return the eye of the moon god. Tarzan, you must help me. Perhaps if you were to speak with Reverend Kyer, he could help you. He, he studied a great deal about the miracles of the past. If only he could perform some miracle for me, I would be his friend. No longer would I oppose his ways. If only he could perform a miracle that would restore the sapphire, the honor of Miyamoko would be saved. I know no more about the location of the missing gem than you do. And I'm reasonably certain Reverend Kyer doesn't either, but... He, he hints at a miracle that is to happen tomorrow. I suggest that you come to his Christmas party. Christmas in the Congo. The dawn came early and the sun was strong. But even before the daylight had come, the entire village had gathered outside of the tiny mission. Inside, the Reverend Collier peered out nervously. The church foundation had been generous beyond his fondest dreams... But everything they'd sent him might be in vain. Now, as he nodded to Amma, the doors and the windows were thrown open. In front of the strange-tempered crowd, he could see the high priest, Tarzan, Nagako, the aging chief, Kitty, and the others. They watched him intently as he sat down before a huge box-like structure, a strange affair that had required two elephants to carry. And then, as he'd done so long ago, on those Christmases before he'd been ordained, the man Collier set to his task.
God. Moon God falls from heaven. Falls from nowhere. Right at the feet of the high priest. A miracle. It is a miracle. A miracle. The eye of the moon God dropped from the heaven at the sound of your magic. This is a miracle. One I didn't plan. We are friends now, Reverend Collier. Please make more magic with the box that plays music. Perhaps it will bring a charm upon the Christmas wedding. Amma, did you hear that? Yes, Kitty, I heard. Let us walk short distance away, Tarzan. All right, Nagako. I am old, Tarzan. Soon I will go to long sleep. I would like to know how miracles happen. I do not pretend to understand miracles, Great Chief. But now that I look back, the only one who could have slipped into the temple and stolen the jewel was my tiny monkey, Nakima. It's also possible that he hid it in the one place that your people were told to stay away from, the roof of the mission house. Ah, Mateo, it could be, as you say. And, of course, the, the roof has many holes, and the vibrations of the organ might easily have shaken it loose. But then, maybe we could be wrong. Perhaps it, it was a miracle. All of us connected with the production of Tarzan join in wishing you a very happy Christmas. And we invite you to remain for a preview of our next story. Tarzan deserts his jungle to confront the complex maze of a modern city when he travels to Johannesburg. And there, in a world so alien to his own, he meets an enemy more dangerous than the savage beasts of the primordial forest, more ruthless than the jungle-crazed men he's encountered in the past, more destructive than the angry elements of the Congo. Tarzan fights an unseen adversary in the hand of death. Included in our cast were Jack Moyles, G.G. Pearson, Bob Bruce, and Charlie Lund. Tarzan, the transcribed creation of the famous Edgar Rice Burroughs, is produced by Walter White, Jr., prepared for radio by Bud Lesser, with original music by Albert Glasser. This is a Commodore production. Listen to our next story, The Hand of Death, another thrilling episode of The Lord of the Jungle. to Silver Age Heroes Radio Theater presented by Phoenix Media. From the heart of the jungle comes a savage cry of victory. This is Tarzan, Lord of the Jungle. From the black core of dark Africa, land of enchantment, mystery, and violence, comes one of the most colorful figures of all time, transcribed from the immortal pen of Edgar Rice Burroughs, Tarzan, the bronzed white son of the jungle. And now to herald the March of Dimes, which begins next week, we bring you a special Tarzan story entitled, The Hand of Death. 
It may be difficult for many of us to grasp from a distance the enormity and the complexity of the dark continent. Africa is more than four times the size of the United States. One section is no more similar to another there than it is here. The great city of Johannesburg bears no closer resemblance to Tarzan's jungle than our San Francisco does to a logging camp in the Maine woods. And certainly Tarzan, dressed in a breechcloth of leopard skin and leaping from tree to tree in his jungle, bore little resemblance to the smartly dressed couple who drove along the excellent highway toward the Johannesburg suburb of Parktown. Ah, oh, it's been a wonderful day, Mike. Picnic in the country. We shouldn't have to wait for an anniversary. Well, at least I managed to sneak away from the office once a year. Ten years. <laughs> ten years and ten picnics with the man I love. It doesn't seem like ten years ago that I met a little rosy-cheeked English girl at a picnic in South Africa. The little English girl was just waiting for a handsome American to come along. Deborah, you think it was all right to leave Stephen alone today? Oh, heavens, Mike. He's hardly alone with three servants in the house. After all, it's only a little cold. <laughs> Yeah, I guess there's nothing to worry about. But if anything ever happened to that boy... I know how you feel, Mike. I feel the same way about Stephen. But we mustn't let ourselves become hovering parents, sending for the doctor every time he sneezes. After all, he is almost nine. You're quite an old man. Shall we dress for dinner, Deborah? Oh, let's. As soon as we get home, I'll put some champagne on ice. Mike. What's the matter? In front of our house, that car. Oh, I thought there was something wrong. It could be most anybody. I think Standish from the office. That's Dr. Grunwald's car. He wouldn't make a social call at this hour. Stephen must be really sick. Well, say something, Dr. Grunwald. Tell me about Stephen. As soon as Deborah calms down a little, I'll tell both of you as much as I can. I can't make myself go through it twice. Deborah, Dr. Grunwald's waiting to speak to us. Mike, close the door to his room. Certainly, Doctor. Now, have a seat, my dear. He hardly looked at me. His muscles are twitching and his hands are trembling. I, I must go back to him, Doctor. Please tell me anything you have to say in a hurry. I won't keep you long, but I've already sent for a nurse to care for the boy. Stephen is going to require plenty of professional care during the next few Months? Months? Yes, it's difficult to tell you this, but it must be done. Your son has contracted a very dangerous form of poliomyelitis. Infantilitis? Yes. We haven't had any cases of it in some time here in Johannesburg, but now the hospital is crowded. I think under the circumstances it might be better to keep him at home. Will he... He has better than an even chance to live. And there's a possibility that there may not be any lasting effects. A possibility? Oh, my. My. Oh, please, Mike. Do I have to keep pacing up and down? Why doesn't the doctor come out? He'll be out soon. And then we'll know. And then we'll know. I've been hearing that for weeks now. Then we'll know what, Deborah? He's not going to die. I know he's not. Maybe he'd be better off dead. Mike! I mean it. You want Stephen to go through life as a cripple, handicapped in everything he tries to do? But lots of children have done wonderful things despite handicaps. And look at the famous handicapped people in history. Yes, yes. And the boys who came home from the war. Lots of them have adjusted themselves to a perfectly normal... Well, my boy isn't going to have to adjust himself. I know somebody who knows more about the care of our body than any doctor who ever lived. Please, please, Mike, you're disturbing the patient. How is he, Doc? 
Tell me. Well, the disease is no longer progressive. And I think it's safe at this point to say that he's going to live. Beyond that, I can promise nothing. Oh, that's a great deal. Not to me, it isn't. Not if that sepulchral tone of yours means that he's going to spend the rest of his life in those braces. Mike. Mike, I've done everything I could. I've called in the best specialists. You've had day and night nurses, despite Johannesburg's nurse shortage. We've done... Yes, I know all of that. From now on, it's all one big question mark. Hydrogymnastics are often helpful. Body manipulation sometimes helps. There are many treatments that may make it possible for Stephen to walk again. But, of course, Africa still hasn't the facilities it should have to properly combat the effects of the disease. Well, why not? There are plenty of natural warm springs in the jungle. <laughs> in the jungle? Yes. Yes, in the jungle. And there's good air there, too, and health-building fruit and meat. What are you getting at, Mike? I know a man in the jungle I was of service to once, and he said I could count on him at any time. He has the most magnificent body I've ever seen, and I think he can do Stephen more good than all the doctors in the world. Oh, surely, Mike, you can't be serious. Mike, are you mad? Yes, just mad enough so that I sent a message to Tarzan early this morning. I'm having him take the boy home with him. What? I'm not entrusting Stephen to some savage with a ring through his nose. Tarzan isn't a savage, and he doesn't wear a ring in his nose. Well, maybe not. But you're not taking Stephen out of this house. That's your story. You'd be making a big mistake, Mike. So it's my turn to make one. You doctors haven't been able to accomplish a thing. I don't care what Deborah says. I'm entrusting Stephen's life to Tarzan. In just a moment, we shall return to our dramatic story of Tarzan. Tarzan had spent the past few weeks in his seacoast cabin. And like many of us, he was spending his leisure time poring over mementos of the past. The few possessions of the parents whom he had never known, sundry souvenirs of his own brief period in the countries of so-called civilized men. Suddenly, he left his open trunk and sprang to the door. The scent of a gumangani, a native, assailed his sensitive nostrils. Nani, you go? Mimi Pandego. My friend Pandego. Jumbo, Tarzan. Come in, come in. Santa. There's, there's nothing wrong with the people of Punya, is there? Tuago, Nagama, Sui? All well. Pandego come bring Tarzan Barua. A letter for me? Fr from where? Awaki? Barua from Johannesburg. Drum that sound like Nene, the beetle, send message to Libraville. Oh, the wireless. Runner bring to Punya village. You saw me? Go ahead. Read. Mm -hmm. um, is bad news? Uh, yes, the son of a man who once saved my life is very sick. He wants me to come to Johannesburg. He's many moons journey. Yes, but I must go. It's strange. I was just looking through my trunk. I'm afraid the only suit I have has many holes in it. Besides, I, I guess it would be too small for me now. Tarzan grow bigger, stronger every year. Uh, here it is. Certainly has lain in that trunk a long time. That is suit Tarzan would wear to city. Yes, I would if it were not full of holes. Lord of Jungle could not go to great city in suit of miserable cloth. Must wear suit of fine animal fur. Punya women make Tarzan suit. No, there's no time for that. Johannesburg will have to accept me as I am. It was almost a week until Tarzan arrived in the greatest of South Africa's cities and made his way to the suburban home of his friend. I know I'm asking a great deal of you, Tarzan, but it was the only angle I could think of. I'd be happy to take the boy back with me, but I'm not a doctor. The doctors have been able to do nothing. Are you living at your seacoast cabin? Yes, from time to time. And the mineral spring, it, it's still bubbling? Well, same as always. 
Things don't change rapidly in the jungle. Yes, the, the springs might help the ailment you describe. I bought a couple of books on the subject. They tell all about those hydrogymnastics and the underwater exercises and a lot of other things. Between the book and, and what you know about taking care of your own body, he can be cured. I know it, Tarzan. Well, I'll, I'll do my best. Is the boy ready for the trek? Well, there's a little difficulty on that score. You see, neither he nor his mother have agreed to the trip. Oh, and yet you brought me hundreds of miles to get him? I think you can convince both of them. Uh, Deborah's out, but you can see the boy. He's right over here in his room. We, we brought him downstairs to make it easier on everyone. Stephen? Stephen? Mm. Stephen, I, I brought you a visitor. Mm. This gentleman is Tarzan, and he's known as the Lord of the Jungle. Mm. I, I'm happy to know you, Stephen. <laughs> it comes as a surprise to hear you speak the language of my people. Hmm? Often the least educated savages in the jungle converse with grunts. <laughs> Gosh, it's good to hear you laugh, Stevie boy. That's the first time in over a month. I didn't mean to laugh. There's no reason for me to laugh. I have a small friend by the name of Torgo. He, he must be about your age. He doesn't like to laugh either. He's afraid people will think he's a Balu. What's, what's a Balu? Oh, actually, it's a word of the apes. It, it, it means baby. Is Togo an ape? <laughs> no. He's a little native boy, but I've taught him many ape words. You know, you'd like Torgo. If you came home with me, you, you, you and he could play together. I can't play. I can't run anymore. I can never run again. Oh, now, never is a long time, especially for one so young. I guess it's no use, Tarzan. Stephen. Yes? If, if you return to my jungle with me, I shall try to make you walk again. I, I will try to make you as strong as I. But I make no promises. I'm uh, neither a magician nor a doctor. I don't like doctors. But I do promise you the most interesting time you've ever had. You'll see almost every animal of the jungle. You'll see rare birds and, and flowers that cannot live in the city. You can watch native dances, learn their language, come with me into the upper level of jungle growth where only Tarzan and the great bull apes can travel. These things I can promise you, Steve. Gee. W will you come with me, Stephen? When, when do we leave? You're not leaving. Deborah. I have no intention of letting my son travel through that horrible jungle with this, this wild man. But, Mother, I, I want to go. Because you have accepted this fantastic dream he's spun for you. Well, I haven't. You're not leaving, Stephen. Deborah, for the love of That's heaven. That's final, Mike. Mrs. Aldridge, parents always mean well for their children, but sometimes even mothers make mistakes. I made Stephen laugh just now. And, and over a month, you have failed to... I don't need a jungle savage to tell me how to raise my son. Deborah! I shall not ask you to apologize for that slap, Mrs. Aldridge. But I want you to know that I was prepared to apologize to you for my presumption in wanting to take your son and hoping to nurse him back to health. I was prepared to promise I'm you... I'm not listening to you. Well, then I shall not explain. Mike, I'm sorry that Stephen can't come with me. He is going with you. You'd better not try to ignore me. Stephen leaves this house over my dead body. I don't think that will be necessary. Tarzan, I shall get the boys' things together, and then you can leave. Oh, no, you won't. Deborah, this is for Stephen's good. Darling, can't you see that? I don't know. If anything happens to Stephen, I'll never forgive either of you. Mrs. Aldridge, I hope to return the boy in good health. I'm going to try to... to work hard to erase the mark that the hand of death has placed on him. But if Stephen Aldridge's anticipation of the trip had been great, its realization was not. Swaddled in heavy blankets, he had felt like a baby on the train. 
And then, when they had gotten off and he was being carried by the Lord of the Jungle through the ever-thickening mass of dense vegetation, he felt worse. Tarzan's amazing prowess made him feel more helpless than ever. Tarzan? Yes, Stephen? I, I think I want to go back home. I know. It's a little scary here now, isn't it? But by tomorrow, we shall reach my seacoast cabin. You'll like it there. It's, it's in the jungle, isn't it? Yes, of course. Uh, I don't think I like the jungle. I hear animals. Yes, I, uh, I both hear and smell Sheeta the panther and Numa the lion. But if I run quickly, we can outdistance them. But if I were alone, I, I couldn't run. And I couldn't defend myself. I'll never be able to do anything. Tarzan, why are you stopping? I think I've been wrong running away from Sheeta and Numa. We'll wait here for them. No, no, Numa's going in the other direction. But Sheeta comes close. I'll put you down here. I'm afraid. Oh, here, you take this heavy strand of liana and tie my one hand behind my back, will you? Tie your hand with this vine? Yes, hurry up. Loop the rope about my waist. That's the boy. Tarzan, what are you... Now, now tie my legs. There'll be time for questions later, Stevie. Go ahead. There, now tie a double knot. Good, good. Now, you just stay here. I shall hop forward to meet Sheeta the Panther. Tarzan! Tarzan! As Tarzan advanced, Sheeta broke from the underbrush and leaped straight at Tarzan's throat. With his one free hand, Tarzan shielded himself, but the weight of the animal knocked him down. Unable to rise because of his tight ankles, Tarzan rolled over. The mighty panther turned and attacked his prey again, the great talons lashing vicious. But Tarzan's one free hand now held his razor-sharp hunting knife. It upward and ripped into the folds of the powerful cat's soft belly. The strike had been sure, but the huge animal gave one convulsive shudder and dropped. You, you killed him, Tarzan, with your face in one hand, tied. Well, Stephen, I, I didn't do that to prove my great strength, but... But only to prove that it's possible to defend yourself against enemies, though you're badly handicapped. A, a man may be crippled in many parts of his body, but he's still able to, to face life and, and life's dangers unless his soul is injured, unless his courage is wasted away. I may not be able to restore your body muscles, Stephen, but I hope I can renew your courage. <laughs> In just a moment, we shall return with the dramatic conclusion of The Hand of Death. You're tuning in to Silver Age Heroes Radio Theater, presented by Phoenix Media. From the heart of the jungle comes a savage cry of victory. This is Tarzan, Lord of the Jungle. The months passed, and back in Johannesburg, Mike and Deborah Aldridge heard little about their son. It took all of Mike's persuasion to keep his wife from starting for the jungle... But he felt that Stephen's only chance for recovery lay with Tarzan, and that Deborah and he might delay the cure. Deep in the jungle, Tarzan was hard at work. 
The boy's morale had improved, but his physical progress was slow. He looked strained and anemic as he stood waist-deep in the warm mineral spring. Now, stretch your right arm forward. Good. Now, your right leg. I'm trying, Tarzan. I know you are, Steve. Don't, don't worry about falling. The water will support your weight. Here I come. I... I got you, Steve. And you're all right. I'll carry you to the bank now. There we are. I, I tried, Tarzan. Of course you did. Now, just lie on this blanket and, and relax. I'll massage your muscles. There. There. You don't feel strong when you massage me, Tarzan. You, you feel as gentle as my mother. Uh, yes, I guess your mother's worrying about you. I'd, I'd write more often, but, well, I'm, I'm waiting till I have some real news. You could write her that my arms are getting stronger. They are getting stronger, aren't they? Yes, I think they are. My courage. Tell me my courage is strong, Tarzan. Your courage puts mine to shame, Stevie. This Hema of Tarzan, Doctor. Thank you, Pantago. You've been an excellent guide. Tell the men to carry that equipment into the cabin. Boss! Papa, Papa. I'll go inside and... Quiet, quiet. Boys are sleeping. Oh, you must be Dr. Grimoire. Yes, I came as soon as I could, Tarzan. I had to arrange to have other doctors take care of my patients. Of course. You must be a fine man to cross the jungle at my bidding. You, you did not tell his parents that he's worse, did you? No, I didn't call them. And my nurse has been instructed to tell all callers that I'm on a vacation, that's all. Mizigo, who... Mizigo, Mano? Oh, put it down if it's heavy, Pantego. Doctor, what, what have you brought into the jungle with you? Instruments, medicines, electrical stimulation machines. <laughs> I hope you brought a long extension cord. The nearest source of electricity is over 300 miles away. Now, Stephen, grasp this spool in your hand. Just, just grab it? Yes. Ah, good. Oh, I dropped it. Oh, that's all right. Now, try to pick it up with your toes. The right foot first. Go ahead, Steve. I'll try. Uh, I'll try. I, I raised it a little way. You did well. Now lie down and rest. Tarzan and I will be just outside the door if you want us. I'll be all right. Do you feel warm enough, Stephen? Yes, Tarzan. Uh, we'll be back soon. Well, Doctor... You've been working the boy too hard. One who has been as sick as he has must be reintroduced to exercise slowly. You, you don't mean I've hurt his chances for recovery? Oh, no, no, no. I didn't mean that at all. I think you've done wonders. And the muscular development of his lower and upper arms is nothing short of miraculous. I, I made up some exercises from watching the movements of baby monkeys. Nature is our best teacher. There are some things that must be changed, however. Uh, the mattress he's lying on is too soft. We must get a different one, or perhaps put a board under this one. I sent runners for that mattress. It was carried almost a thousand miles. You must rest far more. The exercises must be less frequent for a time. And I must check over his diet with you. Also, we, we may have to fashion a temporary brace to correct the position of the left leg. Well, I'll do anything you tell me. I, I know now that it's impossible to learn the cure of polio from a book. Ah, there is a great deal concerning infantile paralysis that we don't know. Bert, don't worry about following my instructions, Tarzan. I'm going to stay right here. 
Perhaps the men of science and the men of nature together may defeat the enemy. Yes, perhaps. Such a small enemy. I've fought lions and panthers, hippos and, and rhinos, and yet I need help to vanquish an enemy that cannot be seen with a microscope. Month drifted into month. In Johannesburg, several young doctors continue to care for the practice of the vacationing Dr. Grunewald. And scarcely a stone's throw from his office, two people faced each other in anger. Once they had looked at each other with love in their eyes, but now... I'm getting a divorce, Mike, and then I'm leaving for the jungle. I may not find this Tarzan's lair, but if I don't, I'll die on your tent. You will wait another month, like I said. When the year is up, we'll go together. How can you keep delaying me and still insist that you love my son? Our son, Debbie. Oh, Debbie, can't you see that it's because I love him that I want to give Tarzan every chance to make him whole again? Couldn't you see how Tarzan has developed his own body? All that I could see was that he was a savage. He's proven that by ignoring us for months now. Well, it isn't easy to send a letter out of the jungle, and if anything had happened to the boy, he would have let us know. Well, I intend to find out the worst. If you won't come with me, I'll go alone. And I intend starting tomorrow. Deborah and Mike did start toward the jungle the next day. Although Tarzan had traversed the distance in a few days, the safari of the distraught parents took many, many weeks. It was almost a year since the day Stephen had been stricken with polio when Mike and Deborah entered the small clearing of Tarzan's seacoast cabin. Well, there it is, Deborah. Oh, the, the door's open. Maybe they've been killed by some terrible beast. Well, the natives said they were here. I'm afraid to go closer. Oh, Mike, do you think that... Uh, I see someone at, at the door. Debbie! It's Stephen! Oh, Mike, he's running toward us. Stephen's running. Oh. Hi, Mom. Dad. Hello, Stephen. I knew you were coming. He could smell you. Smell us? Oh, yes. We of the jungle can catch the scent of the Tomangoni. That's ape language for white men. Uh, we of the jungle? Does that mean it's, it's going to be hard to persuade you to come home? Oh, I'm ready to come home now. Gee, wait until I tell the other kids about Tarzan. And from the doorway of the cabin, two men smiled upon the scene. A kindly doctor and a bronzed man of the jungle who had won what was perhaps his greatest victory. In just a moment, we shall return with a preview of our next story of Tarzan. terrifying ball of fire streaks across the blackness of the Congo heavens, leaving in its wake a shower of red, green, and yellow. At the government observatory, there's talk of a great meteor. In the jungle, the natives cower before this sign of the demons. And on a remote plantation, a strange being steps from a weird-looking rocket ship. In our story, Tarzan and the Man from Another World. Tarzan, a transcribed creation of the famous Edgar Rice Burroughs, is produced by Walter White, Jr., prepared for radio by Bud Lesser, with original music by Albert Glasser. This is a Commodore production. Listen to our next story, Tarzan and the Man from Another World, another thrilling episode of The Lord of the Jungle. This and previous episodes of Silver Age Heroes Radio Theater, wherever you get podcasts, or by visiting phoenixmedia.us forward slash Silver Age Heroes. Join us again, same bat time, same bat station, for another presentation of 
of Silver Age Heroes Radio Theater. Excelsior! Thank you for tuning in to Silver Age Heroes Radio Theater. I'm your host, Christian Phoenix. Now, growing up as a comic book fan of the 80s and 90s, I've always been fascinated with how storytellers translated these iconic heroes from the page to film, television, and radio. Long before we got the big-budget CGI epics we enjoy today, children gathered around their radios to hear their favorite do-gooders come to life with little more than their imaginations and these broadcasts from a time long forgotten. I invite you to gather around your radio for this presentation of Silver Age Heroes Radio Theater. From the heart of the jungle comes a savage cry of victory. This is Tarzan, Lord of the Jungle. From the black core of dark Africa, land of enchantment, mystery, and violence, comes one of the most colorful figures of all time, transcribed from the immortal pen of Edgar Rice Burroughs. Tarzan, the bronzed white son of the jungle. And now in the very words of Mr. Burroughs, the story of Tarzan and the man from another world. Tarzan's mission had brought him deep into the Congo near the great rubber plantations at Lamfondi. He traveled rapidly through the jungle night, moving easily through the upper level. But suddenly he stopped, and his eyes opened wide as he looked up at the Congo heavens. A moment ago, all had been inky blackness, but now a huge ball of fire streaked across the sky, leaving in its wake a shower of red and green and yellow. For a moment, all was deathly still and terrifying. And then, as the firmament became black again, the jungle was filled with the screams of frightened animals, and from far off came the sounds of native drums. Tarzan moved quickly again. A few minutes later, he entered a native village that was strange to him. Sion, it's sky is letting from demons. Now you know God's angry with you. Aye, aye. He's big, sign. I mean, God's not spare next one who go against word of white water. Why are you attempting to frighten the people of your tribe, witch doctor? Huh? Who are you? I am Tarzan. And I'm known to many tribes as Lord of the Jungle. So you are Tarzan. Did you see sign of demons? I saw the strange ball of fire in the heavens, but I doubt that it was a sign of the demons. Just why are you so convinced of that fact? Quite wanna tell us God's angry because of one who break rules. You refer to Mabokia, whom I found wandering far from here? Lidio, I talked by Mabokia. You find him? I found him, and I was shocked to see the welts across his back and the lash marks upon his legs. I came here to find out about them. Mabokia, bad man. He talked to stranger. He spoke to a stranger. That was the crime for which he was half killed? Lidio, white wanna tell us not talk to stranger. Already I talk too much to you. Leave now, Tarzan. The white wana you talk about, is it the Mr. Van Kruger Mobokia said he worked for? I not talk to you more. Leave. You will talk to me, and I shall not leave until you do. Now, is Van Kruger the white wana you speak of? Nadio, all of tribe belong to him. You belong to him? Nadio, I thought slavery was a thing of the past. Where is his Hema? Other side of forest of rubber trees. But you not go there. He not like strangers. He'll like me far less when I get finished with him. Thank you for pointing out the direction of his home. Look, look, another 
hysteria of the natives mounted as the sky fell with a shower of brilliant colors. But Tarzan had no time to speculate on their fears or on the strange phenomenon that illuminated the heavens. He left their village and started across the rubber plantation toward the jungle home of Jakob von Krug. Below him, the terrified animals milled in hopeless confusion in a vain attempt to flee from the terror that painted the Congo blackness in garish colors. Suddenly, Tarzan saw a young girl running through the maelstrom of half-crazed animals. He grasped the swinging vine and propelled himself into a great downward arc. And as his body reached the lowest point of the arc, he grasped the girl firmly about the waist and then continued his flight to the top of another tree. I'm, I'm sorry I frightened you. You? You? Oh, there wasn't time to sound a warning. Any one of those animals might have leaped upon you at any moment. Oh! I am sorry. My name is Tarzan, and I was on my way to Van Kruger's house. I saw you down there, and I acted without stopping to think of how frightened you might be of me. But I am slightly less dangerous than the other animals. Well, I I guess the animals won't be so bad now. The fireworks seem to be letting up a little. Well, you still can't go wandering off into the jungle. Where, where did you come from? Where are you going? Which question would you like me to answer first? Well, I suppose it's obvious that you've come from Van Kruger's. This is the only house within many miles. Well, so far, you're 100% wrong. I don't even know Van Kruger. I, I've just come from the mission school on the other side of the plantation. I was heading for the native village near here. Why? Well, I was going to try to persuade some of the natives to escort me to Luanda so that I could get a boat. Well, those natives aren't to be trusted. Those fireworks, as you call them, have made them almost as hysterical as the animals. A young girl would stand little chance. I happen to be 18, and I'm very well able to take care of myself. But I could never get down from here alone. All right, I'll help you down. Just put your right arm over my shoulder, and I'll hold this wrist. And... Oh, what's that? It's called a slave bracelet. It's nothing. Just a trinket. You wouldn't be interested. Oh, but I am interested. With... Undying love from G.P. to J. Van K. You've got it all wrong. You couldn't possibly read it right in this light. Oh, my eyesight is more acute than the average. J. Van K. The, the Van K. couldn't possibly stand for Van Kruger, could it? Yes, it does. All right. Is it Miss or Mrs. Van Kruger? Oh, I'm not a runaway wife, if that's what you're thinking. He happens to be my father. Not that I'm very proud of it. You don't get on well with him? That's putting it mildly. Oh, Tarzan... Please don't make me go back. Please. We'll return in just a moment to our story of Tarzan. many miles of impenetrable jungle between the rubber plantations of Lamfandi and the government observatory at Kilama. And the people who worked and studied within the small institution were far different from the inhabitants of the jungle. But they had one thing in common, an all-consuming interest in the strange fireballs that had streaked across the jungle heavens. Dr. Forbes, it's the greatest opportunity we've ever had. If we can just find out where those meteors landed, there's no telling what we can uncover. How do we know they landed, Jack? Maybe they burned themselves out. Well, that's possible, of course. But suppose they didn't. Suppose we can get to them while they're still fresh. We'll transport a few of them back here for study and we'll... Uh, just a moment, Jack. I hate to dampen your young enthusiasm, but there have been many meteor showers in the past. Perhaps this one will prove to be no oh, more... Doctor, than... you know there hasn't been anything like this for years. Well, this one makes the village shower of 1914 look like classroom stuff. Perhaps if we get some reports of their actually landing... No, it'll be too late we... then. If I start right now, I can get there almost before they cooled off. But, Jack, we have so very little money at our disposal... No, I'm afraid that outfitting a large safari is quite beyond us. Well, the lack of money isn't going to cheat me out of my one big chance. I know about where those particles landed, if they did land. And I'm going there. 
alone if I have to. But it would mean a journey right through the heart of the Congo. Wild animals, dangerous savages, plantation owners who resent strangers. You'd be risking your life, Jack. Well, I guess it's mine to risk, Dr. Forbes. And while the young scientist was making his declaration of independence, Tarzan was escorting a very resentful young lady back toward the jungle home of Jakob von Kruger. The sky was dark again, and the animals had ceased their frightened screams, but a feeling of dark foreboding hung over the mysterious Congo. I can't just turn you loose in the jungle. He's kept me like a prisoner, Tarzan. If you take me back, I'll never get away again. Everything I've heard about Jakob von Kruger is bad. I refuse to promise that I'll help a daughter run away from her father, but if what you tell me is true, I'll do everything within my power to help you. You, you haven't told me your name. It's Johanna. Father calls me Yopi. It's a ridiculous Dutch nickname. I like to be called Joan. That's what they call me in America. In America? I went to school there for a year. And then, just when I got to like it, Father made me go to England. By the time I'd grown to love England, he made me come home. His whole objective in life is to make me miserable. Is, is that your house just ahead? Yes. I'm very anxious to meet this unnatural father. You may not even live to meet him. He has native guards surrounding the house, and they shoot every stranger on sight. Hmm, very hospitable. Perhaps you'd better climb that tree that extends over the roof and <laughs> drop in on him unexpectedly. It's too late. They spotted us. That's Dad on the veranda. Hey, wait! You foolish on fire! That's Yopi coming with a stranger! Well, at least he doesn't want to kill his own daughter in cold blood. Oh, Yopi, my little girl. Where have you been? I've been worried sick for you. Mm, a fat lot you'd care if something happened to me. Oh, Yopi, to say such a thing. I didn't know you were gone until a minute ago. The excitement of the comets. We were just about to go hunting for you. This gentleman was kind enough to save you the trouble. This is my father, the well-known Jakob van Kruger. Father, meet Tarzan. Uh, it is a great pleasure to meet you, Tarzan. Any man who has brought my daughter back from the dangers of the young will is a friend. My house and everything I own are yours for as long as you will remain with us. I came a great distance to inspect your methods here, Mr. Van Krieger. I shall accept your kind hospitality. <laughs> Well, Tarzan, you have enjoyed looking over my plantation? Yes, it's been very interesting. I had no idea it was so large. It would require another three, four days if you were to inspect the entire plantation. And by this time next year, that large clearing to the south will also be planted. Thirty years of my life I have given to this place. And your workers? Many of them have given thirty years of their lives? Yeah, that is so. They have been loyal friends. Most of them belong to one tribe... They say they are Van Kruger's people, that they belong to me. You mean uh, that's their own idea? <laughs> they find a certain security in the belief that they are my property. And as my property, they will be fed and clothed and protected. And punished? Sometimes whips and hot irons? Tarzan, you have known me for several days now. I believe you will take my word that I personally have no hand in the drastic punishments the natives sometimes mete out to their members. It is not important whether you actually administer the punishment yourself. A little over a week ago, I came upon a native who had been beaten within an inch of his life. He came from your plantation, and I learned that he was punished because you were angry with him. It seems he dared to talk to a stranger, a, a very serious crime, apparently. Yeah, a loose tongue is a serious crime. You see, Tarzan, rubber is an essential of peace. And also an essential of war. There are many powers who would stop at nothing to acquire a plantation like this one. And we also have secret methods of curing rubber that some nations would find valuable. Strangers are dangerous. 
I was very angry at Mabuki. I saw the signs of your anger upon his back. Ah, the others of his tribe are too hard on those who disobey me. Tarzan, you know the mind of the natives. I tell them something is wrong, they make a capital crime of it. I tell them to stop all strangers from entering, they are inclined to shoot first and ask questions later. I cannot seem to stem their fierce loyalty to me, which is translated into acts of violence. I see. I am not the kind of man to apologize for my people or to defend my actions. But you have saved my daughter. A daughter you keep a virtual prisoner? I keep her here for her own good. I sent her to America to school two years ago. She was 16. She'd been there only a short time when she wrote me she'd fallen in love. A friend made inquiries about the man. His name is Gregory Payne, a man of close to 40, who lives extravagantly but has no visible means of income. He's a mystery man whose manners are, are too perfect, whose past is too obscure. So you had Joan sent to England? Yeah, but this Gregory followed her there. So I had her brought home. She's too young to know her own mind, and I love her far too much to have her throw her life away on a, a fortune hunter, or worse... Mr. Van Kruger, you are either an honest man against whom I have felt much unwarranted anger, or you're a superb actor, and I wish I knew which. Hmm? Sometimes fate takes a hand in proving what... Look, Tarzan, outside! The, the fireball is streaking across the heavens again. During 30 years in the Congo, I have seen many strange things in the sky, but never anything like this. I wonder what it can mean. <laughs> Fireballs? We were just talking about them. Meteorites again. Well, yes, again. One of them landed in the south clearing. What? Only it looks like some sort of a strange rocket ship. And a weird-looking creature crawled out of it, and he's coming toward the house. I'd better call the native guards. It won't do any good. The guards fired point-blank at him, only the bullets had absolutely no effect. No effect? And all of the plantation workers are lying prostrate on the ground. They think the demons are really after them this time. Joan, did you see this creature yourself? Only from the veranda. He looks like an illustration out of one of those science fiction magazines. Like a man from another world. You two wait here. I'll go to meet him. In just a moment, we'll return to our story of Tarzan and the man from another world. Behold my precious. Ooh, yeah, we do something right here, uh huh? It's the Loot Crate subscription box, yeah, with an exclusive loot on surprises and delivered to your door every month. Just pick up your favorite geeky genre, daddy. <laughs> From the original Loot Crate, the Loot Crate DX collectible boxes, dude. Cowabunga! To the Loot Gaming video game box. Woohoo! Yeehoo! Wowzers! With crates starting as large as $11.99 per month, those are backs just about for all collectors. To get your geek on, head over to phoenixmedia.us forward slash loot crate and claim your exclusive offer. That's f-e-n-i-x media dot u-s forward slash loot crate. Great Scott! Snap into a loot crate, it. You're tuning in to Silver Age Heroes Radio Theater, presented by Phoenix Media. From the heart of the jungle comes a savage cry of victory. This is Tarzan, Lord of the Jungle. (laughs) 
And now back to our story of Tarzan and the man from another world. As Tarzan crossed the wide expanse of the south clearing, he could see in the distance the strange-looking spaceship Joan had described. And on the ground, hundreds of native workers lay in silent terror as through their ranks a weirdly dressed being stalked majestically. His angular suit was of highly polished metal. He wore many fantastic bits of mechanism strapped to his metal uniform. And his head was encased in a large globe-shaped helmet that revealed only two piercing eyes. Tarzan was filled with apprehension and curiosity. But his curiosity was uppermost. And he continued on until he stood squarely in the path of the outlandish creature. How do you do? Uh, Jumbo. Bonjour. Como esta usted? Uh, uh, the gates... You may converse with me in any of the Earth's languages. On the planet Uranus, we understand them all. Then you do come from another world. I come from the planet Uranus, a world nine times the size of the Earth and thousands of years more advanced in its knowledge. In what way? In every way. I am told, for example, that the peoples of Earth are still engaged in continual warfare. Yes, it's true. We seem resolved to kill one another in endless wars. I have come to put a halt to this threat against the universe... Or to liquidate the Earth completely. Our observation ships chose this as the site for my first visit to Earth. Your observation ships? Then those must be the fireballs we've been seeing in the heavens. Exactly. Your name? Tarzan. And yours? It will not be necessary for you to address me. I shall ask anything I wish to know about this part of the Earth. And then I shall visit other places. Upon the report I make will hinge the future of your world. Now, take me to the building at the edge of the field. I desire to meet other Earth people. Are you sure you wouldn't like to take off that heavy helmet? I am not yet used to the Earth's atmosphere. Tarzan, you will stand in front of me. I do not like people to stand where I cannot see them easily. Of course, I'll stand over here where you can see all three of us at the same time. Mr. Van Kruger, you will tell me more about this rubber. You know nothing of rubber on your planet? Our planet is almost 2,000 million miles from here, and our vegetation is far different from that of the Earth. I will be happy to give you biola seed. We are having much good fortune with that variety of rubber plant. I am very much interested in this product of yours. Incredible as it seems, we of Uranus may yet learn something from you, Earthlings. In the morning, Van Kruger, you will escort me about your plantation. You will show me everything. Uh, wait until you see my new coagulation vats, my presses, my improved smokehouses and drying sheds. You will find our methods here are very advanced. During the war, we made remarkable progress. You manufactured rubber for war? Well, naturally. I doubled my output during the war years. It is men like you, Van Kruger, men who make the materials of war, who are driving the earth into oblivion. If we permit the earth to endure... You will be among those who are first eradicated. Oh, come, switch doctor. What are you doing here at the plantation? Come to see man who not feel bullets. He's gone back into his spaceship for the night. He refused to sleep in the white bonus house. Tarzan goes to see great devil bird? Yes, I'm on my way to inspect his rocket ship, if I can. But these on ground. Uh. Look like bits of cardboard. I don't know where they came from. He's strange. Not nearly as strange as the man from another world. Wish me luck, witch doctor, and 
Say a spell that will make him a sound sleeper. Tarzan could observe an open hatch at the top of the weird contraption, but it was impossible to see in. It was possible, however, to see out of the windows. And as Tarzan started to climb up the fuselage, the man within it pointed a powerful-looking gun at the open hatch. As Tarzan drew close to the opening, he curled his finger around the trigger. Tarzan started to enter. And then, from far off, came the roar of an animal and a man's frantic cry for help. Tarzan leaped to the ground and sped toward the jungle. Moments later, he was looking down at a man pinioned beneath a huge rock, the helpless victim of a hungry panther who was about to spring. Tarzan leaped to the ground and his knife flashed in the air. You... you didn't get here a minute too soon. I thought I was... Save your breath until I get this rock off of you. This must weigh a ton. No, not quite, but it proved a lot more than I could carry. I don't wonder. There. Take it easy. It's valuable. That rock? Valuable? Yes. It's a meteor fragment, and I came a long way to find it. Have you noticed those fireballs in the sky lately? Of course. Well, this is part of one of them. Then the, the fireballs were not observation ships from another planet? Observation ships from another planet? <laughs> I didn't think the comic books had reached the interior of the Congo. Oh, there's nothing comic about this. Are you sure this is part of what we saw in the sky? Yes, I'm positive. You see, I work in the government observatory at Coloma. Just, just what are the possibilities of a spaceship reaching here from Uranus? Seriously? Uranus is one of the most distant planets from the Earth. But is it possible that a, a rocket ship could travel from Uranus here? Uh, they'd be awful fools to head for Africa. Uranus isn't even in the southern hemisphere at this time of year. Can you walk? I, I think so. I just had wind knocked out of me. Well, then leave the rock here and come with me. I don't believe anyone will steal it and we'll come back for it later. It may turn out to be Exhibit A. The rest of the pieces of this jigsaw puzzle are beginning to fit together. Hadn't been slept in, Tarzan. Well, Van Kruger doesn't seem to sleep much. He may still be here in his den. We often used to talk late. Look, is that Van Kruger crumpled over his desk? Yes. Dead. A bullet right through his head. It looks as though he was writing a will. There's a sort of rough draft here. Do you think it was suicide? A man can't fire a bullet through the back of his own head. And if he completed a will, where is it? Maybe his daughter has it. Uh, her room's just across the hall. Come on. Joan? Joan? Open the door. So- something terrible has happened. Joan! What? She's gone. I think I know where. I-, I may need help, Jack. Listen. Sounds like a plane getting ready to take off. We may be too late to save her, but we can try. The young scientist was left far behind as Tarzan streaked across the plantation to the south clearing and scrambled up the fuselage of the strange airship. But already the plane was about to take off. The motors were purring evenly, and as Tarzan lunged forward, the hatch began to close. Even Tarzan's powerful fingers could never open it. All that remained was one wild guess, one desperate chance. Greg! Greg! Open up! Uh, who is it? Who's calling me by name? I am Greg. What? What? Ah! Joan. Joan, are you all right? I, I guess so. Do you have any idea of how you turned the motors off this thing? Well, the first thing he did was to push that switch up before he started the motors. Well, then maybe we can turn them off by pulling it down. Let's see. Oh, it was horrible, Tarzan. After you disappeared, he came back to the house. Dad was writing a will. 
He was convinced that the man from another world was going to have him liquidated because he'd contributed to the war effort. And your dad wanted to make sure you'd inherit everything, right? Yes. And then as soon as Greg had the will in his hand, he killed Dad and carried me here. The natives were too frightened of him to do anything. When did you find out who he was? Just a minute ago, when he took off that the costume. That's why he made love to me in America, Tarzan. That's why he followed me to England, to get control of Dad's plantation. He planned to kill Dad all along. Well, his days of scheming are over now. This is one valuable plantation his country will never own. Maybe I'd better tie him up before he comes to. What happened? A uh, very good plan went bad, Jack. Our friend here must have been hanging around here several weeks ago. He managed to bribe one worker into substituting blanks for the cartridges and the guns of the native guards. The uh, cardboard from the blanks are on the ground back there. But that's as far as he got, until the meteor shower began. Then he put a little window dressing on this plane, got a fancy costume with a built-in microphone. He uh, figured quite correctly that he could frighten the natives and delude the rest of us. And he almost succeeded. He planned to learn as much as he could about the plantation from Van Kruger. But my curiosity made him abandon his original plan. Poor Dad. And I treated him so terribly just because he talked against Greg. Joan, your father worked to build something here. Now it's up to you to see that it doesn't fall apart. Greg, although he didn't mean what he said, spoke many truths about war. Well, rubber and steel and lumber can be materials of peace, too. And they will be if we can keep them out of the hands of men who speak too loudly of peace while they dream of war. In just a moment, a preview of our next exciting story of Tarzan. beautiful young woman with a title and a fortune, a lustful Arab who rules a jungle stronghold, a vicious cockney guide to whom everything has a price, and Tarzan, Lord of the Jungle. These are the central characters in a story of dangers and fears, of a kidnapping that threatens to set off international warfare, and of lives at stake in the quicksands of Guadalajara. Included in our cast were Jack Moyles, Gladys Holland, Marvin Miller, and Olin Soleil. Tarzan, a transcribed creation of the famous Edgar Rice Burroughs, is produced by Walter White, Jr., prepared for radio by Bud Lesser, with original music by Albert Glasser. This is a Commodore production. Listen to our next story, The Quicksands of Wadahara, another thrilling episode of The Lord of the Jungle. to Silver Age Heroes Radio Theater presented by Phoenix Media. From the heart of the jungle comes a savage cry of victory. This is Tarzan, Lord of the Jungle. From the black core of dark Africa, land of enchantment, mystery, and violence, comes one of the most colorful figures of all time, transcribed from the immortal pen of Edgar Rice Burroughs, Tarzan, the bronzed white son of the jungle. 
And now, in the very words of Mr. Burroughs, the story of Quicksands of Guadalajara. By afternoon, the SS Pride of Africa would dock at Tunis. And so far, the crossing had been without incident. But now, the portly, distinguished-looking gentleman who stood in the passageway outside of the royal suite was worried. It was almost noon, and there'd been no word from Her Highness. It wasn't like her to sleep late the very day of her arrival in Africa, and she'd been acting very strangely. He made another trip to the ship's bar, and then he returned and stood in the passageway once again. Finally, his irritation got the best of him. Your Highness, I hate to trouble you, but I've been a bit worried. Your Highness, there's something wrong? If something's happened to that girl, I'll never forgive myself. Oh, but this is fantastic. All her clothes are gone, too. Not a trace of her anywhere. This is terrible. I beg your pardon, sir. Oh, never mind that. Where do I find the captain? I'd be glad to take you to him, sir. I'm the purser. The purser? Oh, maybe it's you I should speak to. Uh, I want to report a passenger missing. Missing, sir? The ship will have to be searched from stem to stern. And if she isn't found aboard, you'll have to turn back. But the whole thing must be handled quietly. Absolutely no publicity. I'm afraid I don't understand. There are important reasons why the identity of this girl must not be known. If it leaks out, I'll hold you personally responsible. Uh, pardon me, sir. Well, what is it? Uh, you're the gentleman who's occupying cabin 36 and 8, aren't you? That's right. Well, then you have nothing to worry about. I personally brought you a message from the young lady early this morning, but you weren't about. You see, she transferred to another cabin. Why the devil should she want to do that? So no one could find her, sir. You suppose someone's guessed her identity? Well, I wouldn't know anything about her identity, sir. Well, where is her new cabin? She was most emphatic that you shouldn't know, sir. That's ridiculous. Why, it's my job to keep an eye on her. I'm terribly sorry, sir. Unless you give me the location of her new cabin, you'll be a whole lot sorrier. I'll see to it that you never get a berth on another ship as long as you live. It's cabin 432 and sea deck, sir. Sea deck? I'm not shouting my name so that the whole ship can hear. Open the door. All right. Oh. Oh, I beg your pardon, madam. I, I was told that another young lady, that is... Uh, I'm terribly sorry. Uh, I was under the impression... That, uh, I'm afraid I don't see the reason for the hilarity. I, I apologize, and I'm sure... Don't that, uh, come in. But I told you that I... Uh, come in, Pudgy. Pudgy? Oh, no, it couldn't be. But it is. Now close the door and wipe the egg off your face. What in the world have you done to your hair? Dyed it. This is known as moonlight blonde. Like it, Pudgy? Looks terrible. I'll never live this down. You have nothing to live down. It's my hair, not yours. What in the world made you do it? Because I want to be free to go wherever I like in Africa. No one will ever recognize me now. Oh, nonsense, my dear. Your face is known everywhere. You're not very convincing, Pudgy. If you didn't recognize me, no one will. But I still don't understand this whole business. Your sudden desire to see Africa, your refusal to let the consulate know of your impending visit, and, and now this disguise as another means of dodging your responsibilities. I'm afraid you have this all wrong, Pudgy. I'm, I'm really just beginning to face my responsibilities for the first time. I, I begin to see how, how truly vital Africa is to us. At home, millions of hungry people crowded together, and in Africa... Thousands and thousands of miles for expansion. Yes, 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 of course. Can't but you uh, see, Pudgy? Those thousands of miles of wasteland can be cultivated. And the millions of people there taught to produce the food and other things we need. Mm. I, I want to see the land and I want to meet the people. 
but not as a member of the royal family. But how in the world... When we land at Tunis, I shall be Jane Higgins, tourist. I forbid you to carry out this ridiculous masquerade. You forbid me? I'm afraid you've forgotten your place. I... I apologize, Your Highness. And speaking of faces, yours has been in the newspapers far too much. I'm not having you spoil my plans, so you're not to speak to me on deck this afternoon, and you're to ignore me after we've landed. And you're not to trail after me when I go into the interior. But this is crazy. If anything happened to you in Africa, it could plunge the entire continent into war. Oh, you're taking this far too seriously. I I managed to fool you just now, Pudgy. And anyone who can pull the wool over your eyes ought to have no trouble with a few wild animals and cannibals. I'm not afraid of Africa. We'll return to our story in just a moment. Pudgy, as her highness had called him, knew the mind of his mistress far too well to continue arguing with her. She'd go where and when she pleased, and he was not even free to follow her. But even before the ship had docked, he'd taken certain steps for her protection. The ship-to-shore telegraph carried his message. It was relayed by phone to a remote military post. Jungle drums sent the message deep into the interior, and a native runner finally brought it to its destination. Before the sun had set, Tarzan was on his way to a secret meeting place. And a few days later, having traversed an incredible distance, he arrived at his destination. A squalid cafe on a side street of a native village some distance from Tunis. That must be he. Are you, uh, Mr... We shan't use names, either of us. Sit down. Well, you look like a chap who can handle himself. You realize the importance of this job? The friend who relayed your message made it extremely clear that Miss Jane Higgins must be protected at any price. Quite. And you haven't much time to lose. She's hired a man to head the safari, and they plan to start for the Congo tomorrow. And you want me to follow them without being detected, is that it? No. You daren't be that far away from her. Try to get a job with the party. Use an assumed name, of course, but uh, stay at her side. See that nothing happens to her. The peace of Africa may depend upon it. You, Jungle Harry? That's right, matey. Jungle Harry. That's what they call me. But what's it to you? I understand you're heading a safari that's starting out tomorrow. Maybe I am and maybe I ain't. State your business. I'm looking for a job. As a matter of fact, I'm escorting a nice little lady on a bit of an expedition, I am. But she's paid me a pretty penny for the trip, and I can't hire anyone I don't know. Besides, I've got all the porters and bearers I need. Well, perhaps you could use a, a guide. I know the jungle better than any man alive. Why should I need a guide? Well, sometimes a man likes to share his responsibilities. It's always possible that one man can be injured or become sick. And uh, that... Wait a minute, matey. Maybe you've got something there. Come to think it over careful, like it might not be a bad idea to take another guide along. The sort of share the responsibilities you put it. What's your name? Uh, John Clayton. Clayton, eh? Sure you know the jungle? Oh, as though I were born in it, Harry. Jane Higgins stood in the marketplace waiting for Jungle Harry and the other members of the safari to arrive. The native bazaar was already like a tourist dream, but now it assumed new magnificence as an enormous caravan wended its way across the irregular cobblestones, on its way from Oran to the jungle stronghold of Sheikh Abdul Al-Akmar Badluf. 
Flanked by his wives and his slave girls, the sheik smiled at the pretty tourist who raised her camera to take a picture of his colorful procession. Just then, one of the sheik's servants stumbled under his heavy load. He brushed against Jane's camera, and it fell to the street. You stupid fool! A thousand apologies, my master. A thousand apologies, Saeed. That's quite all right. It wasn't an expensive camera. You shall atone for this insult to the beautiful stranger. Really, it wasn't... Come here, wretched one. Please, master, I please. wish you wouldn't punish him. It was my fault. I, I was standing too close to your possession. I, I could easily... No, no, master, please. Stop I mean, that. No. What? See how you like being struck in the face. Oh, my dear. You will live to regret your impulsive action, my dear young lady. And you will live to regret yours. Africa shall not always be under the domination of fiends like you. You are a very attractive woman, but not attractive enough to act as you have acted, nor to speak as you have spoken. We shall meet again. I'm not looking forward to it with any pleasure. These Arab rulers can cause a lot of trouble, ma'am. Hello, Harry. I, I didn't see you arrive. I arrived in time for the fireworks, I did. That was a mighty silly thing you did, ma'am. I thought Miss Higgins handled the situation extremely well. Who's my handsome admirer, Harry? He's a bloke I just signed on. Claims to know a bit about the jungle, he does. Name's uh, John Clayton. Harry, I asked you to hire only people you've known. Why, me and John has been pals for 15 years, right, matey? That's right. I'm happy to know you, Mr. Clayton. I'm happy to know you, Miss Higgins. Well, seeing as you're so happy with each other, I'll just run along and take care of the last bit of the business before we head for the blooming jungle. You must be sure that her disappearance is never traced to you, Harry. If we were seen together, any suspicion cast upon you might reflect upon me. You ain't got nothing to worry about, Sheik. If anyone starts asking questions, I'll push the blame on this bloke, Clayton. But who is he? He's one of those drifters, he is. You can find blokes like him in any waterfront pub in the world. Some of them talk fancy, but they're all the same. Bums, beachcombers, wanderers. I know the type. And I know that everyone's always willing to think the worst of them. Well, shifting the blame is your responsibility. All I care about is having the girl delivered to me. She's so fit to strike me across the face... And we must have our reckoning. You intend to kill her? Not at all. Such a spirited wench shall make a great addition to my harem. A harem in the jungle? In a jungle stronghold that is safe from attack. Oh, they've driven me from my own land. And someday perhaps they may storm my palace in the Congo. But as long as my life and yours, I shall enjoy it to the utmost. And this girl shall be a jewel to adorn my crown. You will deliver her to me at Wadahara Pass... Within the week. You still ain't told me what's in it for me. A hundred gold pieces if everything goes according uh, to plan. A slit throat if you fail. I won't fail, Governor. But you know something? I've got an idea that if I was to tell you who this girl really is, you might just decide to raise the ante. I have made the price, and you will not trick me into raising it. Will the girl be there or not? Oh, I'll manage it, Governor. I'll manage some way or other to meet you at Wariara Pass... With Miss Jane Higgins. In just a moment, the exciting conclusion of Quicksands of Guadalajara. You're tuning in to Silver Age Heroes Radio Theater, presented by Phoenix Media.
From the heart of the jungle comes a savage cry of victory. This is Tarzan, Lord of the Jungle. Deeper and deeper into Africa's dark interior plunged the small safari, the torches of the native bearers illuminating the narrow elephant trail, the flickering rays falling on curious animals who appeared in the shadows and then darted off. And always at the head of the safari marched Jungle Harry, urging the porters to increase their pace. Tarzan, known to his traveling companions only by the name John Clayton, remained as close to the girl as he could, resolved that no harm should come to her. Oh, you could almost have reached out and petted Numa that time. Numa? That's an ape word meaning lion. You didn't seem to be frightened. I was, though. I've been terribly frightened ever since we started out. Well, then why haven't you ordered us to turn back? Because I want to know Africa. As much of it as I can. I want to understand her problems and and know her people. Harry? Yeah? Why are we leaving the trail? I've taken the little lady to her native village. I think she'd like to see. Yes, but there are many villages along the trail here. Not like this one, there ain't. What's so very special about the village, Harry? Uh, well, they make a lot of fancy silver jewellery. Things you might like to take home to the folks. I'm not out to find souvenirs, Harry. I, I think we should continue along the trail. Well, it's your money what's paying for the trip. If you say no, no it is. I just thought you might be interested in their native dances. Only place holds them of the kind. What kind? Well, in this particular village, they have a habit of placing little girls in hypnotic trances. Then they throw them up in the air and practice them on sharp swords. Quite a sight it is. Does that really go on here? With little girls? I'll leave it to Mr. Clayton. Am I talking straight, matey? I don't know of any village in this district where that barbaric custom is practiced. It happens, I tell you. Then I must see it. I'm to understand Africa. I have to know what kind of people could do this to their own children. Well, this trip is dangerous enough without leaving the trails. It's, it's crazy to head into the unbroken jungles. The little lady said she wanted to see what I told her about. Now, just remember this, Clayton. I'm in charge of this year's safari, and it's me that's given the orders. Well, at least the belt is more open here, but... I see no signs of a village. It's straight ahead, it is. I know this section of the jungle. Oh, I've never been in this district before, but all I can see ahead are mountains. Oh, no, wait a minute. I, I do see an opening up ahead. And a suspension bridge. That's right, Jim. I figured we'd be coming to it soon. Isn't it amazing? The mountain and that, that, that whole stretch of land below it is completely cut off from here. That's right, Mum. It's a sort of an island, and the bridge is the only way of getting across. That's quicksand under the bridge. No one could make it across down there. Well, where's the village? Just past the first hill, on the other side of the bridge. Do, do you think it's safe? Looks terribly old. Uh, Mr. Clayton, what, what do you think? Well, many of the native bridges are very well built, but I'd like to try it before you attempt to cross over. Harry, suppose you wait here with Miss Higgins. I'm not letting you take a chance alone. I'm going right with you, chum. All right. Do be careful. I shouldn't want anything to happen to either of you. We'll be all right. Looks as though the bridge has been repaired very recently. It does seem to be in good shape, doesn't it, Mr. Clayton? Mm, suspiciously so. It's an old native bridge, all right, and it's been kept in excellent repair, but natives seldom repair old bridges. They, they build new ones. Is that so, Maggie? 
But there's something strange about this, Harry. Look at these tracks. Heavy wagons have been over this bridge, and recently. Oh, I can't see nothing. Oh, crouch down, and here, the way I'm crouching. You... Ah! Ah! Did you lose your balance, Jim? Harry! Get me out of this quicksand! I don't know why you pushed me or what your game is, but... And you won't find out. You'll sink into that muck inch by inch. And by nightfall, there won't be nothing left for you but a dark spot in that blooming swamp. I'll tell them that us, that you led her eyes into a trap and then died in the quicksand as you are well deserved. <laughs> Do not adorn my court in that soil safari dress. Why have you not changed it to the harem garb as I commanded? I have no intention of putting on that ridiculous costume. I shall forgive you the slap upon my face, but you will comply with my request. The ridiculous costume is the dress of my women, and you are to be one of them. Not in a thousand years. My skin crawls when I look at you and remember what you did to Mr. Clayton and, and the native porters and bearers. Ah, the life of the white jungle rat was unimportant. And it would not have been safe to permit the natives to return home with wagging tongues. But you will forget the unpleasantness and remember only the splendor of my palace and the rich gifts I will lavish upon you. I'm not impressed with your garish palace or your gifts. And I command you to release me at once. You command me? Ah, the words of the scoundrel now make sense. Take it away. Lock her in the east tower and bring that sniveling worm to me. It shall be as you order, master. Was it me you wanted to see, Gutner? At least you know your description, worm. I did everything like you said. No more and no less. I have just ascertained the meaning of your veiled remarks. The regal bearing of the woman you have brought to me identifies her despite the color of her tresses. You've got a pig, matey. And as long as you've got her here, they can't touch you. You can rule here for a hundred years. And not one of their soldiers will come near that place. Yeah, you'll do her in. You stupid fool. They will send an army big enough to level this place in 30 seconds. And no threats I make will keep them from my throat. Even now, they may be marching about my stronghold. Now, take it easy, Governor. I thought I was doing you a good turn. The person aboard the ocean liner found out who she was, and when he let it slip to me quite by accident, I figured... You have done your last figuring. At dawn, you and her royal highness will be killed, and all traces of your presence erased. If soldiers come... There will be no signs of your very short visit. <coughs> Try to hold on another moment. Where, where are you? I, I can't see you. The night is dark. I am hanging on a slender rope directly over your head. I can see little of you. In this quicksand up to my shoulders, you can never pull me out. No, I am fragile. But if you could free one arm, perhaps you could reach this rope. I, I don't think I can. My strength's almost gone. I'll try, though. Oh, no, it's no use. You must try again, Effendi. At dawn, they killed the young woman. What? Yes, the same woman who defended me against the sheik in the marketplace. Only you can save her. I'm moving one arm a little. The sheik will kill me as he killed the others of your party. But I must repay her act of kindness. Uh, uh, my arm's loose. My uh, near exhaustion. Grasp the rope. Uh, uh, now, perhaps I can help you a little. You will find her in the uppermost room of the east tower. I have left the door unlocked. I may not even reach the top of the bridge. But if I do, I'll try to save her. Wait for us on the other side of the bridge. We may never reach there. You but... will reach there, Effendi. 
Allah shall give you strength. But Tarzan's body was almost spent as he climbed hand over hand to the suspension bridge and then made his way up the hill to the flamboyant palace of the Sheik. The East Tower was a symbol that beckoned, and he scaled walls and eluded guards to reach it. And then as he guided the brave young woman along the imposing corridors of the palace, the alarm sounded. Now Tarzan lifted the girl to his shoulder and ran. Guards swarmed from every doorway, but with his one free hand, Tarzan fought them off, and after panic moments, reached the jungle that surrounded the Sheik's stronghold. With his strength waning rapidly, he dragged the girl after him as he ran down the hill toward the suspension bridge. It was the path to freedom. Behind them thundered the angry Sheik and an army of his outraged followers. Here's the bridge. There's nothing to stop him from following me to the other side. I got you into all of this. I got myself into it. I, I like danger. I don't. Been more about myself on this trip than I have about Africa. Look, there on the ground, the axes and machetes of barbaras. Yes, they, they, they dropped them there when the sheik's men arrived. I'll take this one. You can help, too. If we can cut the bridge before they arrive, we'll be safe. Here, come here. Almost cut it through a few more strokes and... Terror. He, he's trying to escape from the two. He's, he's trying to cross the bridge. Yeah. Oh! In that quicksand. I hate to see anyone suffer, even him, but he may be able to bridge that swamp, and I can't risk that. I've got to get you back to civilization and safety. Well, here we are. Yes, that's right. Here we are. <laughs> Isn't it strange? Two people face death a, a dozen times together, go through the most emotional experience of their lives, and all they can say is, well, here we are. Well, some things are better left unsaid. There's a very worried gentleman waiting for you at the top of that gangplank. Pachi, I'll be with you in a minute. Well, this is goodbye, then. Is there anything I can do for you when I get home? No, Pudgy's soldiers have already taken care of the one request I might have made. And you know. Oh, yes. Tunis is full of the news of the Sheik's capture. And I happen to recognize Pudgy from his pictures. But where to say goodbye without even admitting that we know each other's real identity? Well, the things left unsaid are sometimes the most treasured. I'll treasure your unspoken words as long as I live, Mr. Clayton. And I, yours, Miss Higgins. In just a moment, a preview of our next story of Tarzan. Long has the legend existed, never proved true, never entirely disproved. And from time to time, men spend fortunes, a great deal of time, and sometimes lives, looking for the basis of this legend. The fabled graveyard where elephants go to die, and where a fortune in ivory lies on the ground, waiting to be picked up waiting to make a man rich beyond a sultan's dream. All characters and incidents contained in our story of quicksands of Guadalajara were fictitious, and any resemblance to actual people, either living or dead, was purely coincidental. Included in our cast were Jack Moyles, Virginia Eiler, Raymond Lawrence, and Donald Morrison. Tarzan, the transcribed creation of the famous Edgar Rice Burroughs, is produced by Walter White, Jr., prepared for radio by Bud Lesser, with original music by Albert Glasser. This is a Commodore production. Listen to our next story, The Trail of Death, another thrilling episode of The Lord of the Jungle. Charles Arlington speaking.
this and previous episodes of Silver Age Heroes Radio Theater wherever you get podcasts or by visiting phoenixmedia.us forward slash Silver Age Heroes. Join us again, same bat time, same bat station, for another presentation of Silver Age Heroes Radio Theater. Excelsior!